Uh, Acts chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Uh, if you want to go ahead and, uh, and, and turn there, if you do have your Bible or if you want to turn your Bible on, um, however that works for you, we're going we're gonna to go there. Acts chapter 12, I'll be in the New Living Translation. Um, I did start putting the translations that I'm using. Um, that's one of the new things that I'm going to start doing so you can kind of see the different translations that I use. I like to use a lot of different translations um, because I think it really helps us connect with scriptures better. And so I've been reading the Passage Translation lately in my own devotionals, the message translation, uh, NLT, ESV. I use a bunch of different ones. Um, but if you're, if you're new maybe to the Bible, there are different translations of the Bible. And uh, I, people ask me, what's the best translation to read? Uh, the one you read. Okay, does that settle it? All right, there we go. So <clears throat> which part of the Bible should I read? Just read it, and it's going to be good. So, hey, how many of you are excited that we serve a God who is alive? He's alive. He's alive and he's active. He's alive and active. We serve a God who not only is alive, but he's speaking, he's saving, he's blessing, he's forgiving, he's moving. How many believe God is moving in our community, in our city, in our region, in our world, in our nation? He's moving in big ways. We serve an active God, an alive God. And here's what I know. Because we serve a God who is alive and active, he calls us as followers of him to be alive and active. And so this whole series activates that we're going to be jumping into is about this idea of being activated as people of God. Now, uh, we've shared this quote a number of times, um, but I want to ch make a change to it because I think it's inaccurate. We've, the, here's the quote. The church is the hope of the world. Um, I believe that with all of my heart, that the church is the hope of the world. I think it's incomplete, though. I, I would like to now add something. So if you got some notes, I want you to write this down. The activated church is the hope of the world. The activated church is the hope of the world. How many of you know some people that go to church, but they don't live like they go to church? Anybody in here? How many of you, that was you? Okay, all right. So <laughs> That's all right. Welcome. We're glad you're here. But there's something that happens that when the activated church does what it's supposed to do, I believe it's the hope of the world. Not just churches that just run through the motions and just sing some songs and hear some messages and then go back to their lives. I believe what happens inside the four walls should impact what happens outside of these walls in big ways. And we read this all throughout the book of Acts, by the way. And the book of Acts is not just a story of back in the day. The book of Acts is a model for today. It's, it's a model for what the church should look like. The church was started in the book of Acts. And so we're going to kind of look at what does the activated church look like. And so we're going to go to Acts chapter 12. I have so much to share today. Uh, and I'm going to try to cram all of this in because I think it's, so much of it is essential to where we're going as a church. And we're going to just kind of share. You're going to get vision in this series of where we're heading as a church. You're going to get kind of the heartbeat of what OSC is all about. What is, if you're new here, what is OSC all about? Over the next five weeks, we're going to really share what that is uh, as we look at the book of Acts and what the, the New Testament church is supposed to be. So we're not, let me tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to go through Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts, we're not going to go sequentially through that, even though that's, that's how I like to. We're going to kind of be all over the place. I'm going to take five big ideas in the book of Acts, and we're going to extrapolate those out, and we're going to look throughout the entire book how these played out. And I just used a big word, extrapolate, to impress you. <laughs> I don't even know what it means. Um, no, I'm kidding. I know what it means. All right, so Acts chapter 12, verse 1 
says this, about that time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James killed with a sword. So one apostle down, he killed him. So he goes, Herod saw that this pleased the Jewish people, so he arrests Peter. Let me get another apostle, I'm gonna do it to him. Then he imprisoned him, placed him under the guard, well watch this, of four squads of four soldiers each. Okay, four times four is, okay, somebody else said 12. Um, no, 16. Um, 16, so think about this. How powerful of a dude are you to have 16 guards watching you? 16 guards around him. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. Now watch with this. But while Peter was in prison, everybody help me with these green letters. The church prayed, the church prayed very earnestly for him. While Peter was in prison, the church prayed. Let, let's pray now. Father, today we come together as your church and we are praying. We're praying for you to move mightily in our midst. You already have. You're already here. You're present among us. Now we're just asking you for illumination and revelation to your word. I pray, God, that as your word goes forth, people's hearts would be receptive. I pray our hearts would be like good soil, that, that, that the seed of your word would drive deep down into our hearts and that it would bear great fruit in our lives. God, help us today. We love you with all that is within us, God, and we thank you today for air conditioning, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. if you don't pray for it, it'll go out. Um, we're thankful for it. So the book of Acts the, is a narrative, and you see the story of the church throughout the book of Acts. I'm gonna tell you today one constant narrative you see from the beginning of the book to the, to the end of the book. The disciples did it, the apostles did it, and now you just saw the church did it, and that's prayer. Prayer was a constant narrative in the book. I would go so far to say, no prayer, no acts. No prayer, no miracles. No prayer, we don't, not only don't get the book, you don't even get the new, the church. The church is not even birthed out of that. And so, uh, prayer was such a huge part of it. And so today, the title of today's message is called Active Access. We're going to talk about the access that we have to the God that we serve, that we have an open access to him. But I want to show you real quick how prayer was, how important it was in the book of Acts. So I'm going to read through this, okay? Just follow along. You're not going to have, you're not going to have, okay, you can't write all this down. I'm going to go way too fast for you. But if you want to write these chapters down, you can. But I just want to show you how prevalent prayer was in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, they prayed before choosing leaders. Acts chapter 4, they prayed after they were persecuted. But not for God to protect them, but for God to make them bolder. Uh, Acts chapter 6, apostles gave themselves to constant prayer. Acts chapter 8, they prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Shandarapaka. Uh, Acts chapter 9, they prayed for signs and wonders. Acts chapter 10, they prayed and Cornelius' whole family got saved. Come on, how many believe in your whole family to get saved? Prayer. Acts chapter 12, they prayed for Peter to be released from prison. He was, spoiler alert, um, he was. Acts chapter 13, they prayed and set apart for missions, uh, set people apart for missions work. Acts chapter 14, they prayed before setting aside new people for ministry. Acts chapter 16, they prayed in prison, saw a miracle. That's the story of Paul and Silas. Acts chapter 20, they prayed before departing to another church. Acts chapter 21, they prayed for Paul before he was went to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 22, they prayed and worshiped, receiving guidance for future plans. Acts chapter 28, they prayed for signs and wonders. <gasps> it's all throughout the Bible. And it's all throughout this book. So here's the big thought. You ready? Write this down. Every great thing God wants to do in you, in you and through you is connected to your prayer life. Every great thing God wants to do in you and through you is connected to your prayer life. No 
prayer, no acts. No prayer, no miracles. Not only did the New Testament church understand the power of prayer, but Jesus understood the power of prayer. All throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus going away to a mountain or to a, 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 a solitary place to connect with his father. He would always come down from the mountain and he would have these powerful experiences that were happening. Now, the disciples in Luke chapter 11, when they were asking Jesus for help, teach us. They did not ask him, teach us how to walk on water. Teach us how to multiply that fish and bread stuff. We want to be able to do that. Teach us how to cast out demons. Teach us how to raise the dead. They did not ask him, hey, can you teach us how to do that water wine thing? We like wine. Okay, uh, so they didn't ask for any of those things. What they asked was, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Lord, teach us to to pray. Teach us to pray. It's the only thing that we see in the Gospels that the disciples asked Jesus to really teach them how to do. Because there's something about the way that he prayed, and there was something about the way that they heard the people that grew them up in the Jewish faith pray, and they go, how he prays and how they pray are two totally different prayers, and how they pray, nothing happens, but when he prays, people come back to life. So there's something about the way that you are connecting with your father that when we wake up, you've already been up. And there's something that's going on up at that mountain that we need to know what's happening up there because when you come down, you are a different man. You're walking on water and healing people, doing things that no one else can do. And so they're asking Jesus, how do I do this? How, how, teach us how to do this. And so that's where you actually get the Lord's Prayer. By the way, the Lord's Prayer was never meant to be a monotonous, repetitive prayer. It was a model of how we are to pray. How are we to connect with our Father? How are we to pray for forgiveness? How are we to pray for uh, uh, the, our provision? It's, we have a whole message on that. I don't have time for that, but he begins to show them this is how you begin to pray and ask. Now, there was another story in the, in the, in the Gospels where the and disciples are trying to cast out a demon out of a boy. He's, he's manifesting a demon. And Jesus shows up on the scene. The guys cannot do it whatsoever. And he shows up and he does it very easily. And they go, how did you do that? And here we go. This is what he says in, in, in the verse. The next verse in Mark chapter 9, verse 29, Jesus replies, this kind can be cast out only by what? Prayer and fasting. Now, we'll do the fasting side in January. We'll do the feasting side in August. Come on, somebody. All right. This is what he's saying, though, that there are some things that you get because you're a child of God and he loves you. Salvation you get because you're a child of God and he loves you. Forgiveness you get because you're a child of God and he loves you. But there are also some things that are in your life that you will not get unless you ask for them. There are some things in your life that you cannot do unless you ask for them. He said, this kind, this kind, of, this, this kind only happens through prayer. And so I, I, I'm here today to, to, to appeal to us as a church. What if God has more for your life, for your family, for your kids, for our schools, for our community, for our church that we are not getting just because we're not asking? What if there's more? How many of you in here, if God's got more for you, say, I want some of that. Give me some of that. All right. Okay. Yeah. Give me some of that. Well, this is what Jesus is saying. You want some of that? Come get it. Come ask for it. We serve a, a God who wants to give his children often these things, but we don't because we don't ask. Now, Samuel Chadwick, uh, look what he says. Watch, watch this quote. He said, the, the one concern of the devil is to keep saints from prayer. I mean, you know, that's what the devil wants you to not do. Yeah. 
Watch this. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, from, from prayerless work, from, from prayerless religion. Satan doesn't mind prayerless any of those things. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into people of prayer. Now watch this last part. I love this last part. It brings fire it brings rain, it brings life, it brings God. There's no power like that of prevailing prayer. And there's anything that the enemy is going to try to get you to stop doing is to pray. And if there's anything God is appealing to us and calling us into is into this intimate relationship of prayer. So I wanna to talk today about three things about active prayer. This all access that we have to God, this communion with God. Man, I, I don't know how to pray. It's real simple. It's communion. It's connection. It's relationship with God. I talk to him. He talks to me. It's very simple. But I want you to write these three things down. I'm going to give you the first one. Number one is that prayer changes things. Active prayer changes things. How many believe that? How many believe prayer changes things? You got the bumper sticker, the t-shirt to go with it, and the coffee mug. Okay, we've all seen it, Right? Prayer changes things, but what does that really mean? Acts, uh, Acts chapter 12, it says, I love this. This first word is what? Everybody say it again. Okay, you're like snickering like you're in elementary school. Okay, like, but, watch this. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed. So, uh, but is a conjunction word. Okay, we all went back to, kids went back to school. Hallelujah, by the way. Come on, somebody. <laughs> All right, so we're going to all go back to English together, all right? The word but is a conjunction word. So here's the definition of a conjunction. You ready? This is a definition of a conjunction. A conjunction is used to introduce a phrase contrasting or contradicting what has already been mentioned. Something, a word that has been used to contrast or contradict what has already been mentioned. Well, Acts chapter 12, 1 through 4, what is the contrast that it's contrasting? Okay, what, what's happening here? Herod Agrippa has killed uh, James already. Now he's put Peter in prison. He is now in prison, so that's what we've pretty much caught up to in the first four. And I love how first five starts. But, but while he was in prison, the church prayed. The church prayed. That, that even though the enemy's plans are this, but, how many of you love when God puts a but in the middle of it. I wanted to call this message, God loves big butts and he cannot lie. <laughs> and that's the truth. Me and Lori, Lori's my executive assistant, and I, she's like, what are we calling this? And I'm like, let me tell you my first thought. <laughs> and she was like, do it. And then she's like, no, don't do it, don't do it. Okay, active access, it's so boring, all right. So if there was a subtitle to this, that's my subtitle, okay? God loves big butts and he cannot lie. And here's why. Because the enemy will tell you something and the enemy will do something in your life, but, but God will step in. The Bible says is that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that God will raise up a standard. He'll raise up the butt and go, ah, but what's going on in this situation? Prayer releases a but in my life. That stops what comes my way. Yeah. Let me show you. This, this is, Jesus did this. Watch. watch. Watch what it says in Luke chapter 22. It says, Simon Sider. So this is Jesus. This is red letters. He's talking to Simon, who's also Peter, by the way, that we're talking about in Acts chapter 12. Uh, behold, watch this. Satan is demanding to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Ready? 
Say it out loud. With some sass. But. But I've prayed for you. Come on, how many of you are thankful when you know that your Savior has prayed for you? Which, by the way, you know that the Bible says that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of his Father interceding on your behalf for you and me. Come on, today you should be encouraged. Jesus is praying for you. You're not just praying to him. He's praying for you. And the same happened with Simon. He's telling Simon, Satan is after you, Simon, but I've prayed for you, and I've prayed that your faith is not going to fail. Well, here's what we know. His faith does. This is the guy who, who denies Jesus three times. This is the guy who, who cut off the ear of the guy that wanted to take Jesus. I mean, this guy, this guy was a little jacked up. This is the same guy that's in the prison that we're talking about right now, but we know that God gets a, hand, a, a hold of him and he doesn't allow his failure to become a part of his identity and God redeems that and God brings him back into the fold and he becomes Peter, by the way, becomes one of the mightiest men in all of scripture. Guess why? Because there was a but. God said, yeah, yeah, the enemy's after you. Yeah, you're probably even gonna fail, but I've prayed for you. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know if your kids are far from God. I don't know if your husband's far from the Lord or your spouse or if your finances are not right or if you've got a diagnosis that's saying that you're not gonna last too long. Come on, how many of you know we're gonna raise up a but? But the Lord says, but God says, but God's doing. When the church begins to pray, uh, I, I don't care what happens when we can raise the standard, but I know what I feel, but. I know what the doctor says, but. I know my marriage is on the brink of divorce, but. I know how it's always been, but. When I pray, things change. Things change. I'm a little excited. If there's anything, I'm just telling you, I'm putting all my cards on the table. If there's anything I want out of this message is that we begin to have a passion for prayer. More than ever before. I love what Elijah, uh, the story of Elijah, in, in the book of James, they write about, the, about Elijah, who's in the Old Testament. You go to First and Second Kings, you read about Elijah, but in James, he talks about him, and I love that he starts out with, Elijah was a man with human frailties. Anybody can identify with being a person of human frailties. How many feel like you don't have what it takes to do what God's called you to do? How many feel like you don't have what it takes to be the parent that you know that you need to be? Anybody, anybody struggle with, with mama guilt? With daddy guilt, you don't feel like you got what it takes to do the job that you're called to do. You don't feel like you got what it takes. You, you, you got, you're jacked up. Every time you say, I'm not going to do that anymore, you keep going back to it and you do it again. If you know the story of Elijah, Elijah was a man who, who literally had a mental illness. He, he was emotionally all over the place. He was distraught. One day, he's calling down fire from heaven. The next day, he's like, God, kill me. Like literally, wants to commit suicide. I, I don't know about you, but that encourages me as I read throughout Scripture because how I many you know God does not use perfect people? He used people that are usually emotionally all jacked up, messed up, and it says that he was this kind just like all of us. So, so James was like, just want to throw y'all under the bus too. Y'all are just like him. We're all like him. I love this. But. But. So Elijah was a man. He, he had a lot of, of flaws and, and dysfunctions. But. He prayed, and because he prayed, he received supernatural answers. Not because he had his act together, not because he always made the right decisions, not because his emotions were always steady. Even all of that, but he prayed, and because he prayed, God showed up. 
I'm telling you, prayer changes things. It changes things in our lives. And I do not want to be a big church that prays small prayers. I want to be a big church that prays big prayers. Now listen, God has nothing wrong with small prayers. But I think, honestly, some, some of our prayers are just not, they're like, you know, like, God, bless our food, and you're eating like a quarter pounder with three strips of bacon on the top of it with cheese covered in nacho sauce, and you're like, God, help me not get a heart attack. Yeah, you're getting one, okay? <laughs> you're like, God, we're just praying for traveling mercies. First off, what the heck is traveling mercies? I don't even know what those are. Listen, drive the speed limit, buckle up, and don't text while you drive. You'll be okay. Don't be stupid. But like we're, we're doing stupid things and then asking God to cover our stupid. I think a lot of us are going to get to heaven and you're going to have your guardian angel pimp slap you. I think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I know I got at least three of them. Three of them. I tried to outrun them. I, I know I've got a number of them that are going to slap me when I get to heaven. This has happened. God has put his guardian angels around about me and they hate me though. Anybody feel like that? Okay. But I, I think oftentimes a lot of our prayers are me-centered and small. God, let me just have a good day. That's good. How about, God, today, let me be a voice for you. Let me be used by you mighty. Let me see people that I can be. Y'all with me? There's a little bit of a difference there. Th that we would begin to pray big prayers. Here's, here's what I mean by big prayers. Prayers that if God answers, he's the only one who gets the credit. Not prayers that you can get some credit for it, but prayers where something happens and there's a miracle that takes place or, or God provides in supernatural ways and people go like, how did that happen? And you're like, God. Amen. That's what I'm praying for us. And today we officially kick off 21 days of that. Yes. 21 days of prayer where we seek God like never before. And I'm asking you, if you call OSC your home in any regards that you would join us over these next 21 days. Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. we're gonna do Facebook devotionals, and then 6 to 7 p.m. we're gonna be here in this church praying for an hour as a church, and I'm asking you to do everything you can to be here. I got kids, yeah, me too. I got stuff, okay, if you can't, I understand. So there's no guilt, I don't want this to come across as a guilt way, but I want us to not, if you can be here, be here. If you can cancel something, cancel it. Figure out a way to, I'm telling you, there's something that happens when the church prays. I, I love what Jim Cimbala said. He's written some incredible books. Watch this. If I, this convicted me to the core. He says, you can tell how popular a church is by who comes on a Sunday morning. And, and you can tell how popular the pastor is by who comes on a Sunday night. But you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to the prayer meeting. Talk about conviction, right? Because, man, we can populate a Sunday morning. We can populate a special event. But when it says, hey, we're going to pray, where did everybody go? I'm saying, what would it look like if OSC says, no, we're going to be committed to realizing that God can do more through us in a building praying for God to do things than we could do even on our own. And we're going to make a commitment to make that happen. So we've done seven days over the past years. We've, we've, we've gone from seven to 21, and the guys you know, asked me, Pastor Josh, what do you want to do this year? I said, I want to do 40. No, gonna... I said, I want to do 21. They're like, you sure? That's a long time, you know. Yeah, you know why? Because I need it. Like, I'm not doing 21 days just for you. I'm doing it for me. 
I'm doing it for our family. I'm doing it for our church. I'm doing it for the transition we're going through with Crowley right now, the, the things that we got going on in our church. I'm believing for Pastor Bubba's divine miracle healing. I mean, we got, we got big things that we need a big God to do big stuff with, and come on, we're gonna give him all that we got. So I, I wanna encourage you, mark your calendars. Let's, let's do it. Number two, prayer not only changes things, prayer changes me. You're really honestly not changing God. You're just now getting God's heart. When you're praying, most of the time we think when we're praying, we're changing God's mind. The truth is you're praying and God's changing yours. You're just now getting his perspective on situations of what's going on. Watch what Acts chapter 12, yet again, going back to verse 5, it says, while Peter was in prison, the church very earnestly, uh, the church prayed very earnestly for him. How many have heard the, the scripture, the Bible says, walk with the wise and you will become wise. Bad company corrupts. Good, good morals. Okay, sociologists, secular sociologists say that if you look at your top five friends that you spend the majority of your time with, the top five friends, that's usually the direction that you're headed and that's usually the type of person that you are. Look at the top five, they influence you in that way. They even go take it a step further and they say if you look at the top five friends and you were to uh, add their annual income individually, your annual income is probably within their means of what they are. That five that you, that's why I hang out with rich people. Um, so I'm, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> but it's true, when you think about your top five friends, you probably don't, it, they're probably around your income level. If that is true, for secular sociologists, how much more is it when God's people spend time with God? What, what happens when we, when we get around God? Um, I have a younger brother and I have a younger sister. My younger brother, his name is Jordan. Growing up in, our, in the belt home, there in, in, I shared a room with my brother, and we had bunk beds. Come on, somebody, bunk beds, those are the day. So guess what my boys do? Share a room with bunk beds. <laughs> so they, we shared a room, and so all th- half of the room, because how many know you gotta split it, half is his side, half is my side, don't you dare cross the line. Half of his side had posters all over the, the room. Can you guess of who? Michael Jordan. He loved Jordan. Which, by the way, we can just go ahead and declare that Michael Jordan is the greatest NBA basketball player of all time. It's not even a debate. If it is a debate, you can go to another church. Um, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, I mean, you can't compete with six championships, five league MVPs, 10 scoring titles, 14 all-star games. Okay, everybody, everybody in the 90s wanted to be like Mike if you loved basketball. Everybody wanted to be like Mike, including kids whose names were Jordan. My brother being one of those. So my brother had every jersey that you can get, the white ones, the black ones, the red ones. He had all the shorts that you could get. And he had, of course, all of the Jordan shoes that made us poor. Um, he had all of them. Because, I mean, you know, you, gotta get, you, gotta get, you can't get Fordans. Those are the fake Jordans. You got to get the real ones, the Jordans. And uh, you can find those, by the way. And so he got the Jordans. And, and not only did he love Jordan, he, he always wanted to play like Jordan. So even while he would be ba- bouncing the basketball and playing in games, he would do the tongue thing. I'm like, that's gross. Put your, put your tongue back. Only Jordan can do that. Nobody else can do that. 
The problem was that my brother looked the part. My brother looked like he was a white version. Okay, a white version. He's tall and lanky version of Michael Jordan, and he looked the part, and he knew all the things, but when he got on the court, he did not play like Jordan. <laughs> he played like Jordan Belt. That's what he played like. Not MJ. He played like, because what, what my brother failed to realize is that you can look the part, and you can know all the things, but if you don't do what Jordan did behind the scenes, you won't do what Jordan did in the scenes. And there are way too many Christians that are trying to be like Jesus, but don't want to be with Jesus. And if you try to be like Jesus without being with Jesus, that's very dangerous. What would it be like if the church decided that we don't want to just be like Jesus? Come on, we want to be with Jesus, because when we're with Jesus, we look more like him. So God is calling us as a church to get activated. And the way that you get activated is you begin to do what Jesus did. Jesus, the miracles that Jesus performed in the public was because of what he did in the private. Which, by the way, let me just go ahead and, whether bad or good, what happens in the private will eventually be exposed in the public. You cannot hide for long. God will always bring those things to the forefront. If you've been doing things for God in private, God will exalt those things in public eventually. We see this all throughout scripture. So how do, we, how do we do this? Watch what John chapter 15 says. I love this in the message translation. It says this. Everybody say these first three words. Live. Jesus. Say it again. Live. Jesus. Live in me. Live in me. Live in me. Make your home in me. Now watch this. Just as I do in you. Here's the thing. God will never call you to do something that Jesus did not do already. So God's saying, go all in for me because I went all in for you. Live in me, make your home in me. Notice he doesn't say, visit me. Just show up on a Sunday. No, he says, live in me, make your home in me, stay with me. In the same way that a branch cannot bear, grapefruit, uh, bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. Live in me. Make your home in me. Join with me. Okay, he does not say visit me. He does not say just show up every once in a while. He doesn't say just come. He says no, live in, go all in, be all in. And so this is what we say. I, I say this probably at least once a month. If you're new here, give us a year. Give OSC a year. Go all in. Go to Next Step when we talk about Next Step. Life groups will launch in September. Get plugged into a, next, uh, a life group. Get on the dream team. Start serving. Start using your passions and your purposes. I promise you, give us a year, and your life will radically change if you go all in. But if you go half-hearted, don't be surprised that you're still stuck. How I many know the only way you get all of God is if you give God all of you? Live in me, make your home in me, join up with me. When you're with me, your life will radically change. This is what happens in our lives. Watch it, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, I love this, in the Passions translation, it says it this way. I love this. We can all draw close to him. Underline that, circle that. We can all draw close to him. We can all, everybody say all. all. We can all draw close to him. Only pastors? Nope. Only like super hyper Christians? Nope. Only the ones who are like, you know, perfect? Nope. Like you mean like drug addicts? Yep. You mean like people that like did some stuff last night that now they're coming into church and they're holding their head down because they don't think that they belong here? Yep. 
Like everybody can draw close to him. Everybody, anybody can draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces and with no veil we all become like mirrors. Now this is what happens because when you connect with God and you spend time with God and you pray and you're allowing God to begin to speak to you, watch what happens. You become like a mirror where you brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. Watch what the next verse says though. And we are being transfigured. This is another word for transformed, which is another word for changed. We are changed. We are changed. Pastor Josh, how do I kick this habit that I keep saying I won't do and I keep doing it? How do I do it? I draw close. You draw close. God, how do I fix a marriage that's broken? You draw close to Jesus. God, how do I, how do I get my finances in order? You draw close to Jesus. How do I get hope when I feel like a despair? You draw close to Jesus. Are y'all figuring out what the answer it is? You just draw close to Jesus. Jesus starts transfiguring you into his image and you move from one brighter level of glory to another brighter level, which tells me it's step by step by step by step. Some of you are so frustrated because you're not where you want to be, but can I tell you, you're not where you used to be because it's one step after another step after another step after another step. That's all it is. And a lot of people don't realize OSC is not the destination. Our goal is not to get you in church. Jesus is the destination. OSC is like a, it's like a, it's like a gas station in the middle of a desert on the way to California. That's what OSC is. All we're doing is giving you fuel and directions, but we're getting you to the, direct, to the destination. We're not the destination. We're just pointing you to them. How I many know Jesus is the ultimate destination? You want your life changed? Get plugged into Jesus. Get to Jesus, get to Jesus, get to Jesus. Every person in scripture that drew close to Jesus was changed by Jesus. Every person. The people who did not want to have anything to do with Jesus were never impacted by Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says that he walked into his own hometown and wanted to do miracles, but he could only perform a few miracles because people felt like he was, oh, that's just a carpenter boy. They became common and familiar. I'm telling you right now, if we will say, God, I want all that you have for me, I'm going to get ready. God is coming in this thing. And that's what these 21 days are all about. It's all about God change things. God change me. And let me give you this last one. And I'm going to wrap it up. Number three is no matter what happens, trust God. No matter what happens, trust God. Pastor Josh, I have prayed and it's still the same. That is a reality. That there are some times where you pray and you pray and you pray and nothing happens and nothing changes. But I'm going to tell you, one, be persistent. Pick it back up. Keep praying. But at the end of the day, we need to just trust God. Watch what verse 6 says of Acts chapter 12 when we're wrapping it up. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he's on death row, everybody. James, his friend, just got murdered. Peter is about to get murdered the next day or the next week. And watch what it says. And he goes to what? He goes to sleep. Like you're getting murdered tomorrow. Hey, can I, uh, and then watch, he's fastened between two chain, uh, with two chains between two soldiers, and we know the other 16 soldiers are outside, so 18 soldiers in total, and look, look what it says, and he was asleep. The church was praying for him, but notice he wasn't praying for himself. He didn't stay up all night praying and worshiping. 
like we do in Acts chapter 20 with Paul and Silas, which they do and God delivers them. But in this one, you know what he does? Hey man, can I use your shoulder? I need to, I need to get some sleep. You're dying tomorrow. Yeah, man, I need to get a good 12 hours. <laughs> I'm not gonna have you raise your hand in here, but I think there's some people in here that have a hard time going to sleep. And you have a hard time going to sleep because you worry. You worry about your kids, you worry about your money, you worry about your spouse, you worry about situations, you worry about your job, and you're either worried or fear has dominated your life. And so now, you used to be able to sleep well and now you have to take substances to try to get you to sleep. I'm believing today God's gonna break that. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with medicine, by the way. If you take medicine, that's totally fine. But there is a problem when we start relying on that versus going to the Lord and going, God, you know what? I just trust you and I'm going to bed. You deal with it. Worry and anxiety and fear, you know what it is? It's us telling God, God, I got this. Well, you go ahead. You stay up late at night. Let's see where worry gets you other than no sleep. This is literally what, what, Paul, uh, what Peter is saying. I know I'm dying tomorrow. God, you got this. I'm going to bed. So no, listen to me. No matter what happens over these next 21 days and beyond, can we just say we're just going to choose to trust God? Even if it doesn't happen right now when I think it should happen, at the end of the day, I'm going to say, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. Daniel 3, verse 17 and 18 is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're about to get thrown into the fire. We just, we just sang this song. There's another one in the fire. It's, that's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fire and, and literally Jesus in the fire with them. That's what that whole song was written about. Watch this verse of what they say right before they're thrown in. Watch this, and then we're done. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. So we know he's able to do it. Watch this. We believe that he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But I love this next verse. Watch. They got to put this one too. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't do what I'm asking him to do, I just wanted to make it clear to your majesty that we're never going to serve your God. We're never going to worship the gold statue you've ever set up. We're just never going to do that. We're going to stand and trust God. Even he, Can he? Yes. Will he? We believe he will, but I love the other. If he doesn't. <laughs> it's like a cloth. If he doesn't. Come on, how many, let's be honest. You've all been there. Like You got like, you got like 80% faith, but there's like that 20% like, mm. can I be, as, as a pastor, can I be honest? I've, I've done that a lot. God, I'm trusting you, I'm trusting you, I'm trusting you. Somebody like sends in a check, you know, that's a lot bigger, and I like call them, did you mean to send that? <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. That's what I was thinking, I was just confirming. <laughs> Any of y'all had like God show up in your life and you're like, you were like surprised? Yeah. It's been what you've been praying for, but now he answers it like, you got, I got the job, I, I got the job, I got the job, I got the, I got the job. Well, you've been praying for a month about it and God actually answered it. And here's, here's why this is such a big deal. Let me tell you why this is a big deal. Because if you go and you fast forward the story of Acts chapter 12, Peter gets out, an angel takes him out of prison. He thinks it's a dream, by the way. He gets out, the angel slaps him around, says, it's not a dream, you out, bro, okay? You, you passed 200, okay, you got, you got, you're out. 
And, and so he goes to the house. He goes to the house where they're having the prayer meeting, where the church is having the prayer meeting, and he bangs on the door. Hey, guys, I'm out. And they open, they open the door, and he's like, it's Pete. And the girl, the girl, listen, read your Bible. She slams the door in his face and runs back to everybody and says, I think Pete's at the door. And they're like, Psh. That's an angel. Like you, you, let's, you, you're dreaming. There's, there's no way. And the Bible says he's still knocking on the door. It's Pete. Let me in. I'm one of you. I'm out. They finally, they go run back, and they finally let him back in. The reason why I share this story is the incredibleness of this story was not the perfect faith. It was their persistent prayers. Their faith wasn't even perfect. They were even doubting that it actually happened. And so what it was, it wasn't perfect. It was persistent. Let's be a church that we're just going to persistently storm heaven for what he's called us to give. Are y'all with me today? Father, we love you. And God, we thank you today for your word. God, we thank you for all that you're doing in this church. And God, I pray for every person that is in this room right now, God, that, Lord, maybe they've lost hope. They've lost faith. Maybe there's something that they're going through in their life right now where they, they feel like a failure. I thank you that your word says we can all draw near. We can all draw near. We can all come close. And today, God, I pray that for these next 21 days, as a church, we will rally together, begin to pray and ask God for you to show up in, your, in our lives in powerful ways. But God, more than anything, more than you just changing things, our prayer today is God change me. Change me. Change me. Holy Spirit, over these next 21 days, would you do surgery on us? Would you take fear and anxiety and depression, addictions, the sins that have so easily entangled in our lives and that have held us hostage for too long? I pray for freedom over these next 21 days. I pray for healings in the next 21 days. I pray for miracles for the next 21 days. I pray for revival to break out in our churches, in our schools, in our workplaces over these next 21 days. God, we want more of you. We want more of you. If you're here in this place, and you go, I just, I want more of God. But, but you know that you don't have a relationship with God. Jesus came and he lived a life that you and I couldn't live. He ultimately died a death to take our sin, our shame, and our guilt. And he gave us this beautiful exchange where he takes our sin and our shame and our guilt, and in, and in turn, he gives us his righteousness. The Bible says in John chapter 3, what must a man do to be born again is to see the kingdom of God. He's got to be born again, new from the inside out. You can't earn this, not happening. You can't go to church enough. There's no pastor, no priest, no communion that, can take, that you can take that can make you right with God. It literally is what Jesus did on the cross and realizing that he is the answer. If you're here in this place and you've never prayed that prayer to be born again, I wanna pray for you today. It's as easy as ABC, we admit we're sinners. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again and that we will confess him as Lord and savior of our lives that he'll come in and he'll give us a brand new start. If you're here today and you go, I want a brand new start, I want you on the count of three to shoot your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor Josh, pray for me. One, two, three. If that's you, going up all across this room, come on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Praise God, 11. Thank you so much. 
You can put your hands down right there where you are in OSC family. We're going to pray this together. I want you all to pray this with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt. You paid for all of that so I wouldn't have to go to. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. Today, I turn from my sins and I place Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. God, be my Father. Jesus, be my Savior. Holy Spirit, be my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name.